Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I'm Johnny Wilkinson and I really appreciate you being here with me today. I've got a very special offer from our podcast partner that I don't think you're going to want to miss. As you know by now at I Am, we're passionate about exploring performance and potential. We often look at this through the body, how the food we consume affects us. And this is why we've partnered with Vivo Life, who have devoted themselves to understanding how our nutrition plays a significant role in our growth, both physically and mentally. Their products are formulated by nutritionists and are 100% natural, making them the perfect choice for anyone looking to take their well-being to the next level. A big favourite at the Iron Podcast is their Perform Plant Protein, especially in cacao flavour, and their plant-based Omega-3 made from high-potency algae oil. Whichever you choose, you'll quickly understand why Vivo Life products are award-winning when you try them out. Plus, their products are delivered straight to your doorstep via carbon-neutral delivery. Vivo Life really embodies the spirit of our podcast, and we're really keen for you guys to try the products yourselves. So they agreed to run their biggest ever discount exclusively for I Am listeners. The code is I Am Podcast, all in capital letters, which will give new customers 40% off their first order and a further 15% off when they subscribe. The offer ends soon, so don't miss out. Check out their full range of products at www.vivolife.co.uk to discover how they can help you unlock your full potential. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore performance and potential and where we get pretty excited about things like peace, trust and relaxation. Jessica Ennis-Hill, the well-known track and field star, is on hand to help us this week. Jess set some pretty high bars during her career and she cleared, I think, more or less all of them. Her Super Saturday gold medal winning showstopper during the 2012 London Olympics will live on in the minds of those present for that unique and amazing occasion and for those also who even managed to watch it at home. It was definitely a moment that transcends sport. It became a defining detail in the story of this immensely gifted heptathlete. But there's so much more to my guest beyond this victory and all her many others too. I feel privileged that she allowed me access to the human being, to the upbringing, to the mindset, the challenges and the amazing future that lies ahead for her too. Some people, she says, are driven by winning and some motivated maybe by not losing. Jessica Ennis-Hill, she says, was always fixated upon what she wanted. To be honest, I myself heavily fluctuated between the two. Being even more honest, I probably spent much greater time using failure and worst case scenarios as the fuel for my performances. Fear, anger, desperation, these are powerful energies. When we're in these kind of states, we don't sit around doing nothing, we get stuff done. And as a short-term survival tool, it's necessary and it's effective. But as a performance tool though, when it's our dreams on the line and not our existence, they can actually reveal themselves to be very limiting and terribly destructive. It's never actually about getting everything to go perfectly in order to prepare us for a performance. It's more to do with shaking loose everything that stands in the way of our dreams and finding that feeling place. We have said this before, that it all boils down to how we take that next step. If we put enough devoted, fully-fledged ones together, we may also end up running our phenomenal 800 metres and being crowned Olympic champion in front of millions of home country supporters. 
finding ourselves in our own personal dream worlds, which Jess can tell you all about how that feels. Thanks very much to Jessica Ennis-Hill for opening up, for sharing her amazing stories, for being so honest. It was a fabulous opportunity for me to understand a bit more behind what goes on on that track and field and also in that amazing environment when the pressure seems to be so high. I hope you really, really enjoy this episode. I hope that it's of benefit. Let me know what you think. Let me know what's coming up in you. This is a massive part of guiding us forward. I can't thank you enough for your support. Take care. Looking forward to catching up soon. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Jessica Ennis-Hill. Jessica Ennis-Hill, this is a real pleasure to have you, to be able to pick your brains and you get a real feel for your experience. I've got loads I want to explore across the sporting boundaries, but also a lot to do with you and your journey and your transformation. And I guess, first of all, how are you today? I'm good. Yeah, I feel really good. I had a good night's sleep last night. The kids didn't argue and bicker too much this morning <laughs> and everyone went to school happy. So I feel good. It's a good day. It's a great day. A good we day. Could, do you want to stop there or should we go? Yeah, <laughs> should we let's, carry quit. On? let's quit. Let's quit. Let's <laughs> quit. ahead. So I am really, really excited about this. I know there's loads and loads of really exciting, interesting stuff that you're up to at the moment. And I really want to get into that. But I'm really keen also to, I guess, investigate what's been happening and what's been your take on this transformation within you over your time. And for that, I wouldn't mind just going back a little bit more towards the beginning to see if I could get a picture of how this all started for you. I know most people will know you from the track and, and your exploits there, but what was your, your personality and what did the world look like for you then? It's such a good question because I think that as you move away from your sport and you head into retirement, you look back at those early years in a slightly different way. And sometimes I look back and think, gosh, I was this like such motivated child. And, you know, I was just in search of this Olympic glory and I, I was just so different to everyone else. And then I look back and think, actually, you know what? I was, I was quite shy. I definitely wanted to stand out for something, but I was quite within myself. I enjoyed sport, whether I was really super highly motivated at that time. I'm not sure I was at certain stages. It kind of happened in an accidental way for me, finding sport and finding athletics. And I remember my, you know, my parents taking me down to a summer camp at Don Valley Stadium and saying, right, you'll be here for a week or two weeks in the summer holiday, go and have some fun. I didn't know anything about sport. I didn't know anything about athletics, the Olympics, World Championships, anything like that. But very quickly, I I definitely had that like competitive element and that persistence like I wanted to do something I wanted to do it well and I didn't let go of that and I think that's something that stayed with my personality throughout my career and, and definitely into retirement as well. Do, do you know what's behind some of that competitive element have you been able to sort of unpick any of that was it all passion and joy or was there other areas the you know the slightly more challenging was it frustration? Was it fear? Was it feeling a little bit like you said, I wanted to prove something? Was there a sense mm. that without it, you know, there was something missing? Yeah, it definitely wasn't all passion and joy. Definitely not. And I think it's something that I have thought about a lot. I did a psychology degree, so it always fascinates me, you know, how do we become the people we are? And 
for example, I have a younger sister and she's three years younger than me and we both had the opportunity to do athletics, but we've gone in very different paths. You know, we were raised the same, we had the same experiences and opportunities, but we are very, very different in our personalities and in our lives. So I'm not sure whether that kind of drive came innately or whether it was just I was put in an environment at quite a young age and maybe I was predisposed to being you know a bit more competitive than other kids at that age and that environment really brought that element out within me but then I look back at my mum and my mum is super competitive with everything so maybe that kind of competitive element that she then that presence she had around me as a young child definitely rubbed off on me in some way. I'm not I'm not sure it maybe it happened that much maybe it didn't but when you were in those days and you did lose or things didn't turn out quite as you wished what was your general take on it yeah for me for example we'd be talking weeks and months of hell for anyone around me and especially for myself but eventually there was a time when you kind of you know the joy kicks in you find yourself back out there with the ball or whatever you're doing but what what was that like for you yeah, I think I had lots of moments where things didn't go the way I wanted it to. I had higher expectations and some unrealistic expectations as to how I wanted to achieve and perform at certain times. And yeah, I think in those moments, I would always have appeared very composed and externally everyone would have looked at me and thought you know she's fine she's not that bothered by it you know she doesn't take the highs too much or the lows and she's just very kind of straight like mid-road but actually in those moments I would go back and I would be pretty miserable to be around you know I'd a word that we use up here is mardy I'd definitely be very mardy (laughs) and quite miserable and quite hard on myself at times because I had this high expectation of what I wanted to achieve but I was never that athlete that got really frustrated in public I didn't throw spikes around I didn't want to ever let anybody see that I was really frustrated I'd go away and I'd close the door and I'd cry or I'd get really angry at myself but I never wanted like everyone to see that side of me in a way and do you think that was something that was everywhere across the board I'm just looking at myself thinking that even in terms of that high expectation became a kind of behavior marker as well you know how you should behave I'm wondering for me I I felt exactly the same I wouldn't allow myself to be too emotionally reactive on the external side at least show it because it was almost kind of like you know this is also part of winning I guess is to behave in this certain way where did it come across in terms of the rest of the stuff whether it's school friends just everyday life was that competition and that kind of a journey happening around you know across the board or was it mostly sport Yeah, I think it kind of translated into lots of different areas of my life. I think my personality within sport was very similar to my personality at school. I definitely wasn't like the brightest kid at school, but I worked really hard and I'd come out with A's and and good grades because I put the effort in. And that was something that I learned through sport because you have to be able to put the time, the effort into what you do. Otherwise, you're not going to achieve what you want to. So in that respect, my learnings through sport and the way it shaped me as a person and my personality have helped me in lots of different areas of life. It's given me a lot and shaped me in a really valuable way. Did you find yourself drawn to individual sporting at that age still? I know later on with the heptathlon and so on, it was obviously very much you out there. What was the difference team versus individual at that time? Because when you mentioned about sport and it's and what it brings, I was about to say, oh, you know, for me, that feels really similar. 
and that personal journey of winning and losing and your expectations and your joy and your understandings and learnings. And I was about to say, oh, you also understand so much from having those people around you and realizing that this is, but then I thought, well, maybe that's not the case at that stage if you're in that individual frame. Yeah, very, very different. And although you do have a, a team, you are part of a team with your support network, your coach and your physiologists and nutritionists and everyone around you. I felt very much part of a team from that respect, but I definitely was an individual performer. And I think as a child, I look back, I think I was definitely made for individual sport and not team sport I can't quite imagine what it feels like to have those massive highs and lows as a team I think they must be incredible because it's such a unique experience that you're all going through whereas for me I was just going through that experience by myself really my team understood what was happening and they'd support me and they knew how training had gone and what we expected from competition but I was the only one who had to step on the track and deliver and that is quite a scary place to be but a place I equally enjoyed like to have a stadium full of people when you're in your prime and you're injury free and just ready to go like for me that was motivation I, I love that attention and that pressure on you when you're you're ready to fire so I want to know what it's like in that little build-up for you just before you you get to the start I also want to know what it's like a little bit before because it's something I don't understand you know for us you have the bus trip to the stadium, you arrive, you walk in, you've got an hour and a half before everyone does their individual preparation and what have you. But of course, with yourself, I mean, the way I can liken it, if at all, for me is that when you're sat in the changing room, sometimes they'd have exhibition games with juniors going on on the field. So you'd kind of walk out and see them playing and be like, all right, okay, I can't go on the field yet. I have to just sit around here. Can you give me a little rundown of what does it look like for you, you know, an hour before, half an hour before, 10 minutes before, two minutes before, you know, what's happening in those moments? Because we just see on the TV, we just sort of see you walk out and go, oh, you must have just been waiting there. You know, we have no idea what you're up to. (laughs) Yeah, you were just ready the whole day. But yeah, what does a a race day look like for you? Bearing in mind, you're you're competing in several events. You know, what's happening there? So it's, it's obviously two days of competition and the day starts really early. So on a day of, of the heptathlon, you're up at maybe like five in the morning okay. and they are the worst hours ever. You just don't know what's going to happen. And that was the thing for me. I'd go to bed and every night before the heptathlon, I would like visualize my perfect heptathlon. I'd go through every event and sometimes I'd close my eyes and I'd fall over a hurdle and I'd be like, right back to the start, let's visualize <laughs> it again and keep going till I did my perfect yeah. heptathlon yeah. and I could go to sleep. And it became a bit of a routine. But then you wake up in the morning and all those nerves and that adrenaline and that feeling of what is going to happen like am I going to achieve what I wanted to achieve and this is all going to be a great story or is it all going to crumble down and it's going to be a disaster and yeah I found it so hard in those moments where you're just getting yourself ready you're going down to breakfast you're with the team you can't really eat breakfast but you know you need to eat and you're just so anxious for what's to come. Like, what is the day going to bring? And I always remember my team, they'd always kind of sit around me and make jokes and just try and keep everything calm and like happy. But deep down, like my heart was just going. I was so, so nervous before every heptathlon. And then we go to the track and, you know, you kind of get your base set up and you might have a bit of physio just to check that everything's in line. And then you begin your warm up. And when you begin the warm up, that's when almost like the adrenaline just starts to dampen down a bit. 
and that was in the kind of the moment where I felt good I felt confident and I didn't feel too nervous anymore because I started my routine and it was just a process that I was going through now I do a jog I do these stretches I start doing these drills I start working over the hurdles and as soon as you start going with the hurdles and you're feeling good then that confidence comes and that kind of anxious feeling of are things going to go wrong starts to disappear a little bit so yeah those moments before are terrifying but the warm-up kind of really helps get rid of those. It's funny you say that because we've spoken to some specialists and, and some really good viewpoints of this, talking about when you're in that space, when you're disconnected from the field or, or the track in this respect, you're kind of in a feedback loop with your own mind and it almost buries your gift, your gift that knows your beauty and your worth and your talent is buried down behind what I would call this self-importance, which is kind of trying to protect and say, you know, I'm so important. I can't be damaged. I can't be defined or, or touched by any of these things. So I must work them out, you know, and, and I must have this perfect preparation. But as soon as you start feeding back with the real thing, you know, the track, yeah, your gift then comes up and starts to say, ah, I'm, I'm sort of just getting back home. Almost. Yeah, like you know how it feels and you you know what to expect and you're just in an environment where you feel comfortable. For me, it's that process. It's starting that process of, you know, what you need to do to be prepared to be on the track. And then once you've gone through that, you obviously sit in the warm-up area and then you go into the like call-up area before you go on the track. And, you know, you're essentially just sat there by yourself watching the other athletes do their last bits of warm-up, trying not to be psyched out by anyone and believing in yourself that you're in the best shape of your life and you can win this. And then you go out onto the track. And when you go out onto the track, the crowd's there. And for me, that's when I felt like at my best at home, just ready to perform and to, to show, really. I, f I find it very interesting because in our sport, you warm up different ends of the field. So you don't really, you're not close enough, but occasionally in some games, you come out of the tunnel at the same time. And you actually, in some games, they used to stand you next to each other and wait for the doors to open. And it was really a different environment than when one team goes out and then the other team goes out because you're stood there six feet away from people you're about to run into and you're looking and suddenly you, you're kind of, you are thinking, geez, you're bigger than I remember. Or like, you know, what am I trying to take from this? Yeah, the thing I found really quite brilliant sometimes was you'd sort of, you'd semi-know or respect, or you'd obviously definitely respect these people opposite you when you're in the tunnel. And some of them would look at you and give you a bit of a smile and a wink that sort of says, you know, I'm there with you. As in like, we're both suffering this moment right yeah, now. And it's yeah. kind of like, let's just, let's just go see how it goes. And we're all good. And, and I like that. But did you ever get moments where people were actively trying to, yeah, you felt were trying to, get inside your preparation, inside your mind? Yeah, definitely. Without a really? doubt, I think so much is won and lost in that core room before you go out on the track. And I think it varies for me for the different events. So before the 800, I had that same feeling that you've just spoken about. We were all there as a group. We were all competitors and rivals, but actually we all dreaded the 800 metres. Every <laughs> single athlete, athlete dreads that 800 metres. So is, is it, just to stop, is it because it's in between long distance and short and it's basically it feels like it's just you just got to go oh it's just horrendous because every other event within the heptathlon it's speed and explosive whereas 
the 800 is just a little bit too far Oof. and you have to run at such a pace and your body fills with lactic. You're tired from two days of competing right. anyway. So it's just an absolutely brutal finish to two days <laughs> of competition. So okay. when you're sat in the call-up room, everyone is kind of looking at each other with that kind of scared look, but also that wink of, look, we've all got to do this. I know how you're going to feel. You know how I'm going to feel. Let's just complete it because completing it is a feat within itself. Yeah, you know, yeah, To sure. get through two days of a heptathlon is a huge achievement. But then before the other events, there's definitely games that have yeah, definitely been played between athletes. And I think you see it more within some of the sprinting events. You know, the likes of Usain Bolt, he's such a different personality to some of the other sprinters. And, you know, he's very relaxed in the call-up room, very relaxed on the track. And that can play with your head, like, in a massive way. So I, I definitely think that, yeah, how you look and how you conduct yourself and the things you say within the call-up room can have a massive impact on on other people's performances. Which is why I like to also hold in up my sleeve this understanding that no matter what it looks like for someone else, it definitely doesn't mean it is. Yeah. You know, when you meet a couple when you're out having dinner and you think, wow, what a lovely couple. You know, they're so amazing together. I bet they never have a problem. You're like, <laughs> yeah. wow. And you look at someone on social media, you're like, oh, you know, they're also, and you're kind of like, it isn't what it is. Yeah. And I kind you've of hold to, that on my sleeve. You, definitely. You've got to portray like the best you, haven't you, in, in the call-up room. You've got to be composed and looking strong and just ready to go. But that doesn't mean that behind no. everything else, you feel that same way. So yeah, there's a lot to be said about mindset in those moments. Well, we, we kind of have this thing. I work with some of the international players now and, and so much of it's about understanding that what is a warm-up? And for us, when it's like that skill-based thing about trying to kick a ball through post, you get this idea that a warm-up means kicking balls through posts over and over and over again, and that's going to guarantee success. But it, so many times they'll say, oh, well, it was an amazing warm-up and I was rubbish in the game. Yeah, because it doesn't work that way. What the process of the warm up is for me is to find that reconnection with your true self through a feeling of just like I'm there. And that actually sometimes takes place through things not going as you want, because when they not, don't go as you want, you realize I've got no choice but to accept. And through that acceptance, you start to find that peaceful space of, you know what, I now feel undefinable. Whereas when everything's going well, like a yeah. winning streak. It actually yeah. holds you back. Everyone's saying, oh, you know, keep up the winning streak. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm becoming so much less of me. I'm not actually letting go anymore. I'm wondering, you know, is, is there a point for you at some point in that race or in any of the races or in certain events where you just feel like at times you have just gone, oh, and you've just fallen into that space of it almost takes place by itself without you having to try, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I definitely felt that within the hurdles a lot. You're so ready and, and you're right with the warm up. You know, you can have those moments and I've had them so many times, particularly in the high jump where I've had the most awful warm up and I've been looking back at my coach and he's just like, what, you know, what's going on? What are you <laughs> We're doing? done for. Yeah. I can't even clear a bar and everything just feels disconnected and awful. My runway was just horrendous. But then in that moment of competition, it just clicks because yeah. you have to feel what it feels like to go wrong, to be able to put yourself back in that right state and connect it. And that's a really powerful thing to do as an athlete, to be able to see where you're going wrong, feel it, and then be able to correct it. And I felt that so many times. And I think within the hurdles, 
in those moments just happens like I'm, I'm not aware of the race I'm not aware of the crowd and particularly in London at the Olympics I crossed the line and I saw the time and I was like what just happened like I couldn't oh, hear wow. the crowd I couldn't believe the time it just felt the only feeling that I had was that sensation of each hurdle coming up on me really really quickly yeah. I didn't know how I like hurdled I didn't know what my technique was like and my cadence between the hurdles I just knew they were coming up really quick and it was a blur and I suppose that comes from yeah that ability to to follow a process and that being really ingrained in you more than anything this is the interesting thing for me is that in a way sometimes that kind of taking place by itself that feeling of almost just having such immense control without trying to control yeah and, it, and it, you feel a bit like how can I get that again but actually, the unfortunate thing is, is it wasn't gotten the first time for me. You know, like when the guys are kicking balls, you kind of go, right, just relax. And they, they deeply surrender and then they just find it. And then they think, oh, that's great. All I need to do now is just deeply surrender each time. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it's not a tactic. Yeah. If it's a tactic, it's not a true deep surrender. So every day and every warm up is a ever so slightly a completely new challenge that you it, ha, it just has to be true when you properly say i'm good with this it, it can't be a tactic it, the words won't work on their own it has to be a deep meaning of actually like no no are you when people say i'm going to give my best it's kind of like well are you prepared are you okay with this not going well mm. and when you say yes you then find yourself in that space of saying i feel like i can give it everything now yeah. And for me, that was the self-importance. I couldn't have any mark on my image. And of course, the, the stupid thing was, I therefore didn't let go. And of course, I had loads of marks all over them. I, I got it wrong all the time. And I still yeah. didn't let go. And so the big challenge came at some point just to say, well, rather than when that thought, oh, what if this goes wrong, to then have an answer for it? What about if you just don't have an answer for it? And you just say, yeah, it may. And that yeah. was... I swear I couldn't go. I found that so difficult. That is so hard. I think so many athletes would struggle with that as well. And I think I definitely did. And that, I suppose it goes back to like how you motivated as well. You're motivated by that kind of need to want to achieve and yeah. go towards that goal or whether it's that motivation about failure and, you know, the need to avoid failure. And I think every athlete is completely different and I've, I've spoken to athletes in the past where they're like no absolutely motivated by not wanting to fail I did not want to mess up and that's what kept me performing mm. but for me that mindset was completely opposite I couldn't allow myself to think about failure or doing anything wrong I just had to think about the goal of winning like I just want to achieve this and I'm not even thinking about the negative or, or failure so I think every personality is so different and it's whatever motivates you, isn't it? It's what gets the best out of your performance. You have to play into that angle for you as an individual, I think. Yeah, and I think that the, when you said about the goal as well, I think innately, I don't know if this is the same for you in those younger years, but there was definitely that part of me that was keen to find out what I was capable of that, yeah. that transcended well, whether I could beat someone else. That was, yeah, that would help me to find out if I'm capable of beating someone else, but that won't answer the question, what am I capable of? Yeah. And I wonder if that's maybe when, you know, I know in the Super Saturday with your, your personal best score and everything, you know, you've gone to a new place in terms of, you know, some of these PBs and everything, you're going to a new place and whether 
that journey on its own almost holds within it the capacity to beat anyone else. If you are going to the length you can go to, then what else is there almost? I think that came through with me later on, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think from a heptathlon perspective, and for me, I, I always wanted, I was obviously very competitive. I wanted to beat everyone, but that's almost not enough within the heptathlon. You have to beat yourself in a massive way because it's all done on point. So you can beat someone in the high jump and jump 183, but that's almost useless because that's not a great point score for you. And you need to rack up as many points because you have weaker events, stronger events, and it all plays out very differently. So yeah, be competitive on the day. And I definitely was, but you have to be so competitive with yourself. And that transcends into how you push yourself in training and how you keep moving forwards and being that stronger athlete and reaching your full potential. That'd be really interesting to, to have already won the event and everyone else be finished, but you still be going. Yeah. What does that look like in terms of motivation now that you've, now that you've got that relief of being like, oh, I've won, but then thinking, well, actually, how much does this mean to me? You know, can I find that same energy for, for beating myself almost? Wow. I mean, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I think you face that in training. I think all the time in training, you you know, you're trying to better your times. You're trying to better the hurdle time that you ran three years ago. Like I was always doing those comparisons, but actually, yeah, if you, if you knew that you'd won, but then went back to see how far you could push yourself, that would be a very interesting psychology experiment, I think. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sort of looking at this now, obviously it would be a miss not to at least sort of talk about the amazing times that you've you've had with the string of of world championship european championships the olympics and then i want to talk about the sense of achievement and i want to see about what was your relationship with it because i know also as much as there was all these achievements there was also this constant sort of like comeback challenges which i think is amazing i mean they're just as amazing as anything else but i i wonder if within there there's this sense that wow the achievement but that obviously wasn't enough at some point, you know, maybe there was a sense of purpose that was unfinished business that you found yourself going back there. I don't know. Did you ever have that moment of like, look, that's it for me now. If you see me near the track, come and take me away. And then being like, oh no, hold on. What have I said? I want to go again. You know, for a start, what what was that achievement like in the immediate aftermath and versus two weeks down the line once you had the achievement for two weeks? So I'd, I'd say that I've probably never had one moment serious moment in my career where I thought I'm done maybe one maybe one when I came back after having Reggie but generally I knew that I always wanted to push on and keep going and then when I retired that was the moment when I was like this is it you know I'm I'm not coming back and I never felt that feeling of wanting to come back so I don't think I've really experienced walking away and then wanting to come back come back And when I had my son in 2014, and while I was pregnant, I always knew that I wanted to come back. And I I suppose that was motivated by, I had a whole new sense of motivation. Like I'd never obviously been pregnant before, never experienced my body change in that way. And I was excited for the challenge of what's this going to be like? How am I going to come back? And that motivated me massively. And then having my son motivated me massively because I wanted him to be part of it. And that whole comeback was just such a unique experience that I'd never imagined that I would be on that journey. And I learned so much about myself, my body, 
like my psychology and mindset of going back to achieve at the highest level but it was just yeah that was probably like the biggest comeback journey I've had and I learned so much through those years. You mentioned having Reggie in did it start to feel like a different dynamic for you competing did you feel like there was a a different feel to going out there now that you were almost you know with more in tow? Yeah, I felt completely different and I I didn't expect to feel so different, but everyone said, you know, you'll feel completely different when you're a mom and you'll have different expectations. And I was like, yeah, but I'll still be the same person. But actually, I felt almost like a completely different person. I was a completely different athlete physically. And my whole like perspective on life was so different. You know, everything that I did from that point on wasn't about me and my like selfish goals. It was about well, is this going to work for Reggie? And is this going to be right for me being the best mum I can be? And how do I make it work so that I'm not at the track for hours on end? How do I get that quality training done, but I'm still at home and around to be a great mum at the same time? And, you know, it definitely wasn't easy. It was really challenging. I relied heavily on my parents and my husband's parents to help and bring Reggie to the track and competitions. Did it give you a different perspective in terms of, and it could work both ways, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're sort of out there competing on behalf of and for your family now versus did it give you that other perspective to, oh, you know, losing isn't everything now, look what I have. Or did it, did it also add some of the other side, which was like, I want to do it for you guys, you know, what, what did it do? Did you find yourself more, more driven or more balanced? Um, that's a really good question. I think I felt more balanced because, you know, you do see the world in a completely different way. So I did have a greater perspective as to what's important and what really matters in life. So if it was a day where I'd had an awful night's sleep because Reggie was up all night or he'd been poorly, like that was the important stuff, like making sure I did 200 reps for an 800 meter session. If I miss that, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't matter. Whereas before, I would have been like in pieces thinking, oh, I've missed a session. I'm going to, you know, not perform the way I wanted to. But then at the same time, it put a huge amount of pressure on me as well because every moment that I was away at the track or competing away from my son, it had to be worthwhile. Like I, the worst feeling for me would have been that I spent time away from him and it was wasted and not worth it. So if I'd gone away to compete and I'd got injured or I'd not won a medal I would have found that really really difficult because I would have missed that time with him so it did heap a lot of pressure on me in that sense that's really interesting that question you know it's got to be worth it and that question of what's worth it and I'm I'm sort of looking now you mentioned you had a a relationship with that retirement because all the comebacks from injury all the comebacks from from childbirth and and growing your family and I wouldn't obviously understand it from a female perspective that when you had retirement and you had all that worth perhaps tied up in if it was such a thing for you it tied up in that identity Mm. you know when your name's mentioned this is you know almost getting caught in that thing of I am what I do now for I know it's a big thing for for people in all kinds of sports, but in, in, certainly in the people that I understand, I know, teammates of mine, that can be a really big, almost sense of a cliff drop, you know, that identity from I am what I do, but when I do disappears and when the 
environment around me, the circumstances change, I'm left feeling like I'm basically falling, I'm floating and, and I, I've got no grounding anymore and who am I and so on. Mm. What was your experience of retirement then and, and what did being a mum do for that? Was it a bit more seamless? Had you come to a different understanding about what's worth it in life? Was that a process that was sort of gently kind of unfolding for you throughout this this path? Yeah, I, I think it was. And I think when I got to that stage of wanting to retire, I'd obviously had Reggie and I'd been on this journey and it'd been a tough two years to come back. Like I said in my head, I'm going to do two years to get back to the Olympics, do one more World Championships, one more Olympics, and then I'm done because to sustain that level of training and competing and, and coupling that with being a mum is, is really, really challenging. So I set myself that time frame. So when it came to that point, I remember we went to a training camp in Barcelona before the Rio Olympics and I decided to go away with my team and not with the whole GB team because I wanted to take Reggie and my husband and to you know, have some time with him before I flew on to Rio. And it worked perfectly. But I remember in those moments doing like my last 800 meter sessions and javelin sessions and just thinking, this is the last time I'm going to throw a javelin like in training. I'm going to do one more in competition and that's it. And I was almost like motivated by retirement. Like I was so excited by moving away from sport and, and stepping into a different world. So when it came to that point, I think I retired in the October after the Rio Olympics. I remember my coach and team saying, are you sure? Like, are you sure there's one more world championships and it's in London? Like, what's <laughs> one more year? Yeah. And do you know what? I look back and think I perhaps could have done one more year in London, but my motivation was not there. I was motivated by retirement. And if you're motivated by wanting to stop, there's no way you can go and win a world championships it just wasn't there in my head yeah, yeah. so yeah. I knew for me that was the absolute right time and I stepped away from the sport feeling like a sense of relief that I'd done more than I wanted to achieve really and that I was able to to retire on my own terms you know not through injury not through anything else that stopped me competing I decided I wanted to retire and I did and that gave me a lot of peace and I think you know we look years down the line now and I, I know what you're saying with that kind of identity thing I find it weird when I have to write down what's your job title or my friend's little boy at school came up to me and he's only five but he's like what's your job what do you do and I'm like I do a bit of this and I do a bit of that but it's not defined in the same way that it was when you're an active athlete so yeah I think there are challenges but I definitely feel that transition through to retirement was a good one for me definitely I mean it's an amazing journey already that you've covered for us and I was going to ask you know what over that entire journey was your biggest challenge because you know it, it, people look at rugby and they think oh you know tackling those big people or trying to get that kick from there or running for that much time or or maybe it's the training or the weights or this or that or maybe it's the and actually the biggest challenge for me was simply it was one within me like you mentioned it, it was the surrendering to passion and joy or fighting against fear and what have you. And, and what that represented in the anxiety, the nervousness, the gross kind of enormously self-critical, analytical kind of bombarding of, of you know, of yourself constantly. Because I'm interested in, in my perspective to give you sort of an idea of where I'm going with this is that I feel like the journey of kind of overcoming that 
was either a surrendering or it was kind of finding something else. But in doing so, I then realized in retirement that once I cleared a lot of that stuff, I see what's left and what's left was always there underneath. And it's the same gift mm. that was pushing its way into sport is now pushing its way somewhere else. And therefore, I don't feel that sense of retirement because I realize I'm still playing. I'm just yeah. playing at something else. Yeah. I'm wondering for you, what, what was the big thing when you look back and think, wow, that was really what I was kind of competing against? What do you think you, know, you had to sacrifice in order to overcome that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I obviously faced lots of challenges, like every sports person with injuries and, and all those setbacks that you, you face all the time as an athlete. But I think my biggest challenge was probably to a certain extent in the early years, that kind of self-doubt and just worrying that, like, am I actually like good enough to be? And also, you know, for me, I was in a sport where I didn't really look like a typical heptathlete. You know, most heptathletes are a lot taller, physically really strong, but I didn't fit that mold. You know, I was quite a small, skinny child. And I think that shyness that I had as a child made me feel that, you know, am I actually right for this? Can I do this? But in turn, when you strip that back and you work out how to use that, you start to find that kind of motivation of I want to prove everyone wrong. Like I want to show that I can be, you know, I'm just five foot five, but I can be one of the best high jumpers if I train myself in the right way and, and, you know, shut out all that noise around me. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I learned as a young athlete going through the years to shut out all that noise around you because there's so much. Everybody wants to have an opinion on how you do something, whether that's a coach or someone online or, you know, everybody wants to tell you what to do and how to do it. And I think as an athlete it can be really hard. And I think now with social media, even harder, how do you shut out all that noise and focus on yourself and on the process and I think if you can do that it's such a powerful way to move through sport and I think that's something I learned through the years of experience and helped me massively. You mentioned about your physical stature at the beginning very much an external kind of well essentially physical thing and if you're going to play by those rules I guess if that's what it comes to then you're going to find it hard against someone of a different physical stature, which they believe may fit better the, the event. But in order to go beyond that, I guess you've got to go somewhere else to find that deeper part, which is the beauty, I think, of sport is that it, the external and the physical is mm. part of it, but actually you can go deeper. And like you said, if you've got that self-doubt going around and everyone's got their opinion, and let's face it, a lot of those opinions, they're not always down the line of don't worry about your self-doubt you're great as you are it's not often you get too many of those it's more yeah. the uh, you know <laughs> w w w the other ones and of course that's going to play on that but even in those states when you can find that something deeper which is constant you know, yeah a joy that a joy that can't be robbed you know a peace that can't be disturbed and I I wonder speaking now and about what's still there in you in this desire because I know what you, you've moved, I've been looking a little bit at what you've been moving on to in terms of you're still hugely motivated about performance and people finding their best. But this is a different energy because you're not competing anymore yeah. necessarily. And I really want to know what's left then. What's the desire now if there isn't this competition? As we said, as a young person before, it was like, oh, well, I need to win in competition. But now that's gone. So what's yeah. driving this part of you? What does performance mean? 
to you now? I I think it it is so interesting because I'm definitely still competitive, like in a day-to-day capacity over silly things. But I, like with the kids, I drive them mad, but there's no like massive competition for me now. And I actually don't miss that that much. Like I love going out and running and and keeping active, but I would never want to enter a competition again. I I don't have that desire, perhaps because I'd want to win. So I wouldn't do it unless I was going to give it everything. But I suppose when I retired, I had a period of time where I just wanted to do nothing and I didn't want to be anywhere near the track or sport or anything. I just wanted to switch off and kind of have that normal life that everyone else has, you know, the weekends, the bank holidays, they get to go on holiday whenever they want, you know, that kind of flexibility, which I really enjoyed. But then very quickly, I just have this kind of like grind where I I want to still like do something I I still want to make change I still want to be motivated like I was and like move into a slightly different area and challenge myself in a different way and that's partly for me because I've been highly motivated and structured like my whole life I, I can't just switch that off I need to keep pushing myself in some capacity but then from another perspective with the kids I want them to see that I am still this motivated person to want to achieve you know, they were so young and Liv wasn't even born when I was competing. So her perception of me is very different. And I want her to still, you know, as a young girl to see mum like working hard and, and wanting to create like a positive change. So yeah, I think that's what kind of keeps me like pushing on and striving to achieve even like post retirement. And what forms that coming through now? You mentioned, obviously, when you're an athlete, you had this team around you, mm. driving you. And it seems to me, looking at the and please do you know, talk about it the 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 Genesis app and the and the kind of the project there. It seems as though you're creating a team around people in the yeah. same way, but obviously everyone's different. So we're not talking about those kind of graphs with the little you know, milliseconds here on the start or the power on the release of throwing javelins or whatever it is. We're talking about people being able to find their own life enhancements through this team. And so so what sort of lens is that all through now? Because one thing that's really interested me as well has been some of the real detail that you're going into in terms of women working with their bodies and, and understanding, mm. you know, this ability to really listen in and tune into what's right, what feels right and how to optimise and those kind of things. So what, is it, what does it look like there with this Genesis project? Yeah, so I mean, it was all driven out of my experiences through the final phase of my career when I had Reggie. You know, as an athlete, you feel like you know everything about your body and you're so in tuned with yourself and you have to be. But actually in that period of time, I had a massive realisation that, you know, the power of of female athletes' body and the impact of hormones is huge. And as women, we go through these massive life stages like pregnancy, postnatal, perimenopause, whatever stages we go through. And actually, if you don't have the right information and guidance in those times, it can be really overwhelming. And when I had Reggie, I had a fantastic physio and team around me, and they really guided me through those initial months while I was pregnant, but also postnatally, so that I came out, you know, in a really great way. You know, I have no long-term issues from having kids, which a lot of women do. They have so many problems and issues going into you know, the rest of their life. And I felt that actually 
I wanted to create a platform that could help support women to understand their hormones better, their individual cycles, and to be able to couple movement with that so that they can, like you said, be the best version of themselves and understand themselves and listen to themselves and know how to move their body in the best way. So it's been so exciting going on this journey because it's I've been able to couple my experience through sport and you know access to great experts but also then move into this digital like tech space as well which is completely new to me so I've challenged myself and completely put myself out of my comfort zone which has been yeah an amazing learning curve to be able to couple the two together and create this product. What have been some of the revelations and have there been any that you're finding maybe as you continue to sort of push these boundaries into exploring more and more how people can go even further into this amazing experience of life or enhancing this experience of life about things you think now, wow, you know, this would have been handy for me even when I was slap bang in the middle of competing, it would have been great yeah. to, to know more of this. And, and also, are there things that have just outright surprised you, things that you're doing now which, you know, which are just, you know, kind of really open your eyes I, I sort of was looking to see that you have obviously things around yoga and breathing and these are these are things that certainly in my early days you know late 90s you kind of I mean you wouldn't even be heard of you know if someone yeah. said I wouldn't do some breathing you'd be like no I'm already doing it yeah <laughs> don't worry yeah. I'm, I'm actually here I'm, I'm all right you know you'd be like no no we're gonna and so yeah what what's what are you finding out on this journey now in terms of yeah, and, and is it revealing a sense of, uh, certainly from what I'm just giving my story is that when I was playing, it was very much like, because of who and how I was, it was effort, 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 you know, it was more, more, more. What are you finding in, in this kind of next step of, of health and well-being? Yeah, I've definitely been surprised. I think when you're an athlete, you're just so in the zone of being focused. And, and like you say, you just train, train, push yourself hard all the time. And I think for me going on this journey and, and kind of delving more into like the physiological side of female athletes and females in general, there's like this huge gender data gap where there's such a lack of research that's been done on women in general, but definitely athletes to understand how their physiology how their menstrual cycle how all these different kind of touch points have a massive effect on how they train how they're motivated and how they move their bodies and you know the lack of research is due to the complexity you know as women we are hard to study and we're also different but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be money put into this area to to try and understand it a little bit deeper to get more out of ourselves as women on a general basis, but also from a performance basis as well. I think as an athlete, for me, you know, you'd look at nutrition, you look at psychology and all these different elements, but you wouldn't really hone in to the female perspective as much as we are starting to do now. I think it's starting to change. But there was never really a focus. It was like, oh, well, you might feel a bit off today or you might have these certain negative symptoms, but we'll just crack on. And actually, there's a better way to train. You know, you can't move competitions and you can't reschedule tournaments, of course, but you can train your body in a more effective way if you're listening to it and you understand it. So for me, it's been a, a massive journey understanding, you know, how our hormones as women have a massive impact on so many different areas of our life, not just performance. And an area that I'm really excited to like delve into more and yeah, speak about more so that more women and more athletes feel confident, yeah, talking about it. Even just you mentioned there about scheduling of tournaments. It's amazing that 
you know, I don't know whether there would be some advantage to some people on a certain day than there would be mm. disadvantages to others purely because of when the tournament falls. Yeah. Or when a certain event falls, you know, compared to another event, whatever it might be, it must be madness. It certainly inspires me that the movement is at least picking up now in terms of realising that preparation is such an individualised, personalised thing not just to the point of, oh, you're a bit different to so-and-so, you think slightly differently, so we'll do, but actually to the very nth degree of saying, right, how can we get to know you mm. if we're going to work with you? How can we know so much about it so we can just make the most of it? And then the emotional ups and downs and the mental sort of movements and the physical movements to be able to to shift and work with purely incredible. It's so complex as well. I think from if you look at individual athletes and individual women, but then when you come to a team sport then, you know, the dynamics and the relationship there is completely different. So it's it's a really interesting area. And I think, yeah, that the more we talk about it, the more time and research and money is put into understanding it, then the better. So, yeah, it's, it's an exciting topic that I found myself, yeah, delving deeper and deeper into. But I think, I think in a way, that delving deeper, one of the things that comes up in this sometimes really I find quite exciting is the idea that the more you want to touch life, the more of life you have to become aware of, the more you want to get out of your body, well, the more of your body you've got to become aware of. And so this delving deeper, I think, is fascinating. I find it just interesting that when I was competing, I had just so little interest. But I wonder with you being individual and having such a long preparation time, maybe, for each tournament brought some of that about. But for us going week to week, most half the week you're like, I'm still hurting from last week what do you know about your body I'm just sore that's it I'm a bit tired and sore right what about now I'm nervous and anxious (laughs) okay great and and that's it and 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 there wasn't that awareness but now you know like with this delving in and in and in I find that inspiring because in those subtleties is where all the possibility is yeah and I think with track and field as well like you say we we have made probably two major championships a year and then there's obviously competitions scheduled in throughout but they're not every weekend so you do have a lot of time to really make sure that your program and that the way you're training is right and you look at nutrition and psychology and biomechanics and all those different areas like why wouldn't you look in more detail at the female physiology side to make sure that that is absolutely right as well so yeah I mean it makes complete sense and as an athlete you spend majority of your time training really so you want to be as efficient and as effective as you possibly can yeah definitely I'm sure I can only imagine what's happening in the field of as it becomes more subtle and nuanced and also more detailed in that investigation of things like diet nutrition yeah when how to eat not just what to eat and I find that really really exciting like you said I think by going down that path we're only going to find out more and more things we never knew and who knows what we're going to uncover but yeah really really exciting and I guess what you mentioned before really interested me about being away from your family and saying okay this needs to be worthwhile Mm. and I wonder now in your position what's worthwhile look like now and I asked that from a position of when you were injured I wonder if this correlates when I was injured in the middle of my career I did have a a bit of a situation where I looked sort of back from that position mid-career and thought, if this is it for me, yeah, was that worthwhile? What I did, how I played it. And what I came up with was I've been doing all the, like we just mentioned, the macro stuff, 
here are my numbers, won this, did this, did this. And I'm mm. kind of like, but I'm starting to feel like all I want is just one more game. It wouldn't matter if I win. I just want to be at one or so. I just want to be able to go out there and, and play and feel it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, it's a feeling thing. And I haven't felt much of my career. I've been unaware. And now my change of what's, what's a good life look like? What's a full life look like? What's worthwhile minute to minute, moment to moment? I get the feeling that family's in there for yeah. you hugely. But yeah, so what's, what does potential mean to you? And what does a, a life fully lived mean to you now? Mm. And how does that work looking back at how you lived your time on the track? Yeah, I think how I lived my time on the track, I was probably very similar to you. I feel that I was very like straight in a way, like there was... I had obviously massive highs, but I never got too carried away with those massive highs. And I had massive lows and I got down and upset, but I didn't get too, it was just always this like mid road, like not getting too carried away with anything because you know that you're on to the next and then you're on to the next. And even if you've won Olympic gold medal, you're on to the next. It's just this like conveyor belt. And in those moments, you you feel like you're feeling it and you're enjoying it. But when you retire <laughs> and you look back, you think, oh, my gosh, there were some incredible experiences. Like you should have been just celebrating a little bit more, but you don't because you're in it and you're moving forwards and you almost don't allow yourself to do it. Because I don't know if it's that fear of, is it going to stop have I achieved all I want to achieve like I've got to keep going keep going and it's only when you retire that you look back and you think wow like that was something really unique and special should I have enjoyed it a bit more but I I don't know if I I could have because I probably wouldn't have been the athlete that I was if I got carried away with a win and probably never won anything again in my career so I think I had to be that athlete But I think now for me, like happiness and potential and success and all those things for me are in a big bundle of like my family and balance. Like success for me now is just in a word, it's happiness. Like I want to feel that every day, like I'm being the best mum I can be. I'm like living to my potential. I feel that I'm really like reflective in life now and I understand how quickly things can change like really negatively and how you know life can I know it's really deep but life can literally stop in an instance for you and I feel like I've had so many amazing memories and experiences that now I want to just enjoy and soak up every moment and I want to challenge myself and I want to push myself but not at the expense of happiness balance with my family and like mental well-being, I want to like your mental health, your psychology, like you can't get that back if you seriously damage it. You have to look after that. And that's kind of the way I live now and hope that I continue to. It's really interesting about looking back and saying, why didn't I at least bask in some of that moment? Yeah. And I think it's funny that you're right. I look back at myself and think, oh, there was something to me that was robotic and it was deliberately robotic because there were two things that were high values of mine. They weren't natural values. They weren't things that I felt were resonated with me. They're things that I put in place because this is good and right. And one of them was this humility means you don't celebrate. Mm. That was it. Your humility unfortunately crept into that. You don't celebrate space. And the other one was that don't rest on your laurels. Yeah. Because as soon as you start celebrating or getting all like, you know what, life's good for me, the rug's going to get pulled. That was this feeling. So I 
kicked into overdrive on these values when things were going well. Actually, I probably relaxed slightly more and showed more of me when things weren't. Yeah. And looking back, it would have been perhaps healthier for the odd moment, but not much more healthy to look back and say, well, every time I win, I'm going to do this because that would be a new value. You must go out and celebrate. You know, the answer for me was, as you just said, in that balance. And also, as you've been talking about becoming more aware of your body and everything to to sort of whatever you're feeling, to just take that moment to breathe and then find out and listen to yourself to find out what do I want to do now? Because I lived according to a set of values. That was it. I, I lived everything according to uh, until I got on the field, as you mentioned, over the hurdles in the middle of the action. I was valueless. I was just, it's me. But every time there was time or space to think or, or there was some kind of relationship with other people looking, it was value driven. You know, what should I be doing right now? How should I be behaving? And of course, I think for me that making the most of every moment, it's almost like, well, I've got to find out more about me to do that. The, the two things are the same, I think. As I let more of me out, I also make the most of every moment because my danger is that I'll walk around smelling roses now in a really like rigid robotic fashion, just being like, I'm living a good life. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it's not gonna it's you know, it's not gonna make it any easier. Yeah. I, I wonder if that if that sits with you a bit. Yeah, I think the whole thing that you talked about, you know, that that feeling of that worry that as an athlete it's all gonna come crumbling down. I think I lived my whole career like that because you're just so worried that you're going to get injured or something's going to happen. And when it's going so well and you're winning and you're picking up medals here, there and everywhere, there's always that thought at the back of your head going, when's this going to end? Because it's too good. So I'm not going to get carried away. I'm not going to think that I'm the best and this is all set in stone because it could change very quickly. And I think I definitely went through my career like that. And it's only now that I've realized like I've put a, a couple of trophies up Good on the you. shelves here which I never did like I didn't have anything up but I'm like now do you know what I want the kids to see and I think you know I can celebrate those moments now that I don't have to live in fear that it all might end <laughs> it's so powerful though that feeling because in a way it's counterintuitive it's saying this is so awesome but I'm not going to feel it because yeah. then it might go away but it's like well then you're not feeling it anyway how do you feel about the lows as well? What sort of place do those hold now looking back? I mean, sometimes the idea that if it had all been amazing, it would have been better. But if, it, of course, it was just awesome for you every day, then how would that be a journey? Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a journey. And I think in those moments of disappointment and frustration and injury, I'd always be like, why is this happening? And this is just not fair. And what's the reason? Someone give me a reason. And there obviously is no reason at the time. It's just you're injured and you've got to find a way out of it. But it is, you know, when you look back and when you're retired and you kind of look at it from a different angle, you see that you wouldn't actually want that journey of success, success, success. You you need those moments where things go a little bit wrong and you're injured and you're out of the sport for a period of time to make you appreciate the position that you're in and what you've achieved before that point, but also what you want to go on and achieve. And I think when I, ha I had my injury in 2008, I almost felt like an invincible athlete up until that point. I felt that I never really got injured and this is okay, you know, I'm just kind of ticking along. And at that point when I picked up my injury and I was out of the sport and out of the Olympics, 
I just had to sit back and watch the rest of the world move forward without me, but actually gain a different perspective and realize what I've achieved is great to this point, but I am nowhere near finished on what I want to achieve. And I've got to work even harder to get back to where I was to then move forward. And I think all those moments for me and those setbacks really, really just make that end point sweeter, don't they? When you're stood there, you're just... They do. It makes it so much sweeter. Definitely. But also, how do you unearth that kind of energy, that extra energy, whatever form it takes, whether in motivation or, or a different kind of intensity or awareness or whatever it is, how do you unearth that if things are just getting better and getting better and getting better? That that you can't access it. I think through that vulnerability, through that fallibility and that acceptance that you're human and that things aren't mm. always just going to be, that you can't control everything, is what brings that out. And it, it, it just resonates with me so much to realise that I was sort of saying for me, to find out more about me is the same as finding more of the moment and finding more of life. And I always find out more about me when things are not going as I want, yeah. as the little me wants. The big me underneath kind of goes, I'm coming through now when the little me unfortunately gets the difficult sort of spell. And it's funny, but I've tried to cover that up. And now I find in those moments, I'm almost like, okay, I'm going to enjoy the fact that something more is coming out in this. But you never mentioned that one. I couldn't think of anything worse as an individual athlete to watch those other people compete. And when you've got one every four years yeah, and you miss out on that fourth, blimey. It's tough because it's that feeling of being static. And I think as a sports person, you always want that feeling of moving forwards and progressing. And I think when you're injured and as an individual athlete with an Olympics every four years, everyone just moves forward. Everyone goes, everyone picks up medals. They're getting stronger, <laughs> they're getting faster. Yeah. And you're just you're just waiting to, to heal essentially before you can start that process again. And it's or tough. in your case, you're unearthing more of something which is going to nail the next well, eight, that's, whatever you Do you know is. what? That's so true. <laughs> as a young athlete, it's hard to think in that way, but... It's so, so true that actually you are unearthing so much. You're learning so much about yourself, although you might not feel it at the time. And you do. You definitely come back stronger if you can, you know, really use what you've learned in those periods of like darkness. Definitely. I speak to sometimes the odd young sort of aspiring sports person sort of try to, as you said, it's difficult in that space to get that when someone's going through it to kind of get that to hold water. But sometimes the point in that changing room as well to sort of say you know what there's two things that are always tending to happen experience is is quite cool on this that if this goes your way it's going to feel great if it doesn't it, it probably won't but when it doesn't you're going to worth more of you and your gift which means it's actually going to be better for you than winning yeah and now you can go into this game invincible of being like i'm winning no matter what yeah it doesn't go my way the only thing important is just be all of you and I think it's tough, but even when you're fighting it, I think you and I may be the same when you're in that injured space, even though you feel like I'm down on this, you're still being all of you because yeah. that gift won't let you give up. It won't let you say, come on, this is getting tough. If it's got a purpose, it's going to push to the end of its purpose. And I feel like you pushed it all the way. And then at the point, the gift sort of said, I've, I've got a different purpose now. You were ready then to say, right, let me follow you. It's because I was that kind of determined person that wouldn't let go. I was like, I'm not letting go of this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. So, yeah, I think it's incredible and you learn so much. I think I look back at my kind of younger injured self and just try and reassure myself in that way to 
to know that it would work out but I think as a young athlete you, you know you're patient you're so impatient and you just want everything to happen instantly that that bigger picture just seems too far away and I think that's what's quite challenging during those periods of injury as a young athlete. I think maybe it is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be but but there's a sense of the okayness that it's all okay because I watch you know my child go through it now and she's a bit disappointed and you sort of I can have that sense of okayness yeah. and leave it alone rather than go in there and try and be like it'll be okay don't worry let me put everything in the right place for you and let me get everything sorted I'm kind of like you know what this is that journey taking place for someone else and I think it that's yeah maybe that's where it, it features more in my life I think maybe if when I was younger if I if I had too much of this big picture as you said maybe that wouldn't have made me the athlete I needed to be to get to where I needed to be exactly but there are the odd moment when you can just breathe as you said and and just take it in a bit more have a breath and at least check do you really want to be moving on so quick yeah I think that's a really good message to have because I think when you're in that coaching environment and you know your coach and your team they want you to keep progressing I think sometimes it's hard for them to let you stop in that moment and enjoy it and I definitely felt that from my team they were always on to the next so I was like well I'm on to the next we're all on to the next like we can't just fully you know take that breath and have that moment to to truly really celebrate maybe we all feel like the rug's going to be pulled under us maybe, maybe it's all of us yeah <laughs> maybe just that that's just it's so cool that's flown by us and um I appreciate you know we've fought hard to to find time for this little exploration it's been awesome oh thank you so much it's been really really cool and i know it's going to make such a difference to young competitors people not competing but just going about their life and everything you're doing now uh, focusing on what i think is an incredibly important demographic and all around that demographic as well but in such a beautiful way that i think you know is is going to take us somewhere amazing um, so yeah I, I i wish you all the best with everything you're doing i'm sure we'll catch up Thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat to you. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. That's all for this week's episode of I Am. Before you go, a big thank you to Vivo Life, our podcast partner, who deliver affordable, natural and UK-made supplements straight to your door. Vivo Life perfectly embodies the principles we're discussing here at I Am. And we're excited for you to experience their products firsthand. As a special offer for our listeners, they're currently offering their biggest sale ever. Use the code IAMPODCAST, all in capital letters, to receive 40% off your initial purchase and an additional 15% discount on subsequent orders with a subscription. Visit www.vivolife.co.uk to explore their complete range of products and discover how they can help you unleash your full potential.